welcome to another episode of That's a Rap Podcast. Newsflash, the Raptors lost a game one. I am your co-host, <laughs> Jay Rosales. I'm joined by Dre and our producer, Jason. Um, I want to ask you guys how you're doing, but I have a feeling I know how it's like. Because I get the feeling, we've all felt this feeling before, right? It's so, you're say- so you're saying in this logic, we all, you know, we lost the game one before. And in that case, we're fine, right? Is that is that how that works? Yep, that's how it works. We we I walk so. in with a ton of confidence and walk out of it feeling like crap. Yeah, well, no, luckily, for sure. Luckily, the Raptors are used to adjustments, and we've got a coach who specializes in adjustments, Nick Nurse. Because after that game one, let me tell you, a good chunk of it was we didn't play very well, and we have to figure out how to stop them from playing very well. So, mm-hmm. boys, how did this look? It wasn't very good. So, okay. Basically, Raptors fans, we're going to we're going to sit here and we're going to let you know what we feel about the Raptors of course. Uh honestly, they sucked and there wasn't really much to talk about, but we will go through it just a little bit, but I thought it'd be nice and honestly for my own mental that we could kind of talk about other things outside of basketball. Yes, yes, it is game 1 of the second round playoffs. Yes, it is basketball and yes, this is a Raptors related podcast, but that doesn't mean that there aren't other things outside of basketball because let's be real, basketball always and should always uh, secondary to whatever is going on all the things that are going on in this world so first off let's you know i, I don't want to brush aside this whole game but i mean the raptors didn't look very good i'm not going to start saying they're you know mentally out of it because that's unfair however i do feel like there is a little bit uh exhaustion when it comes to the players i think yeah. that there's for the last couple of days there has been a lot going on and and to these players and i feel like for us fans there has been a lot going on uh and i don't discredit them for feeling the same outside of the actual basketball game though uh, i mean jay i want you to throw some numbers out there for me because i know that the i i know once that was flying out there is that the fact that marcus smart shot more three points than the entire raptors team so i don't want to get too much into the raptors because i do want to talk to you guys about everything else uh but you know let's hear the numbers bro i don't want to jump too far too deep into the numbers the i think the biggest aspect that jumped out to me was that the the boston celtics hit seven more threes than the raptors that's a total of 21 points and the raptors lost by 18 so you can really boil it down to that um if you know i'm kind of waiting for the advanced stats to come out but um biggest area where the the, the celtics really excelled was the corner threes and that's a concern because that's the area that the raptors don't mind leaving open to their opponent. They gave up more quarter threes than any other team in the NBA, and opponents didn't hit them very well. And the fact that it was falling for the Celtics, that sucks. That's going to lead to a loss, right? Because that's it fell right into their hands, and they made the shot. So kudos to the Celtics for consistently hitting those shots. I think at one point, they hit 9 of 10 of their corner threes. So... Again, credit to them, and they deserve the victory. The Raptors simply didn't look the same. I mean, than they have in the bubble. If we look at how they played against any other team other than the Celtics, because face it, let's face it, both of their losses in the bubble have been to the Celtics, and both of them have looked eerily similar, where mm-hmm. the Celtics are making tough shots, and in this case, a few wide-open shots. And the Raptors simply were not. I think the biggest thing that jumped out to me from an individual standpoint was Fred Van Vliet. 
he shot two of 11 from three. And that second three-pointer didn't fall until garbage time. So there was there was there was a point in the game where he shook free and he was just left wide open in the elbow and the elbow's a layup for him and he missed that too that just something wasn't right with with Van Vliet's shot it looked very much like Fred Van Vliet from the Philly series from last year and from the Orlando series from last year there was just too much length being thrown at him and it's unfortunate yeah. but at the same time I think that there's enough of a track record there for Van Vliet throughout this bubble and throughout this season and even throughout uh, the second half of last year's playoff season to show that he can absolutely bounce back. And I'm, I was going to save this for the end, but I'm going to say it right now. When you guys listen to this, or maybe by this time tomorrow on Monday, he will have reunited with Fred Van Vliet Jr. So Boston, <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this victory because the magical powers of Fred Van Vliet Jr. are about to be unleashed on this team. Get ready for that Disney magic. <laughs> No, for sure. I I feel like out of all the players that were had some spark in them was uh, Serge Ibaka. Yeah, uh, when he, you know, he came he came off the bench and twenty six minutes, fifteen points, nine rebounds. He he right off the gate he I guess had a little bit more energy than everybody else. Uh, again, I just feel like outside of uh, the the bench. Our entire starting lineup was struggling. I mean, oh, yeah. Mark Gasol did not look very good. Fred Van Vliet, Kyle Lowry, again, Jay Yuri saying it. When we play against larger guards, it just doesn't bode well when it comes to our Fred Van Vliet and Kyle. And Pascal, like, I I feel like Pascal just has to learn how to don't play for foul calls. And and I know mm-hmm. like Kyle Lowry kind of does, does that, but he's been doing that his entire career. When Siakam goes in and tries to forcefully get those calls and get those buckets it doesn't bode well for him so he's he still has to learn that yes he's going to be the focal point but don't play for the foul let the fouls come to you let the game come to you and you know even some of the the rush three-pointers like those he can make those very easily but when he gets in his own head that he has to get going the only way to get going really is to get like easy buckets the layups the the free throws and and trying to force yourself into a crowd of three or four Celtics isn't going to do it because then you're just going to be screaming for a foul. You're going to get in your head. You're going to get into foul trouble, which which he was in the first uh, in the first half. And and there you have it. Like the biggest takeaway for me is I'm I'm not I'm definitely not going to blame the refs on this. I I definitely think that the Raptors you know the Celtics shot better those Celtics played better the Celtics had more energy and they they definitely had a game plan that they executed the Raptors did not they had some spurts here and there they cut it to like 12 at the mid of the third quarter but that was it however I do want to say that the refs definitely had an impact on the Raptors in the beginning of the game so when you have uh someone like you know, and Lloyd telling or calling every single foul down the floor uh, against the Raptors, you're going to get them out of a flow while you're going to allow the Celtics to be in a flow, getting those easy buckets and getting those free throws. Mm-hmm. I want to say that's not obviously I'm, I'm not trying to say that that is the end all be all, but I want to say the, the refs had a definite impact in the beginning of a game that set the tone for the rest of the but at the same time, it did and it didn't because the first quarter is the only time that we got completely out outscored. If you look at uh, the second and the fourth quarter, it was only a marginal loss, you know, four right. points combined. And we actually beat them in the third by two. So the only quarter that we got squashed was the first. And as you said, it's a momentum burster that unfortunately, once our shot wasn't hitting, 
and that happened, that's basically it. We couldn't get back into into the the swing of things, and it's unfortunate because the numbers we lost by a lot. We got smacked, but at the same time, what if that first quarter wasn't like that? That's all I'm saying. Yeah, the mm-hmm. fouls uh, I think was something like ten to five, uh, ten or sorry, eleven fouls to five. Uh, you know, in favor, I guess, against the Raptors. In that, at some point within before the, even the end of the first quarter, and by the time the Celtics had built out a thirty-two to thirteen lead, Oof. that was it. Like the rest of the game was was played fairly evenly, right? Toronto would try to make mm-hmm. a run, Boston would answer, and it was pretty much back and forth. But to both of your guys' points, the referees kind of uh, messed up the rhythm of the Raptors, and and the Celtics pounced early, and that was all it was. And you know, Jack Armstrong mentioned it on the broadcast that you know it's. It's kind of silly to say this, but he feels he felt that it was needed to be said is that the Raptors have to have to have to win the first quarter for the sake of just getting some confidence against the Celtics squad squad, which has now defeated the Raptors four out of five times. We can say what we want about Siakam not being there for two of the games. We can say we want about, you know, Gasol missing a couple of the games as well. But at the end of the day, you know, and, and Jason said this off the top. The Raptors just simply missed shots. And, mm-hmm. you know, if, if Fran Van Vliet is going to continue missing shots, which I honestly don't think he will, I think the Raptors no. are going to be in a better position in Game 2. And that's, mm-hmm. the, that's the great thing. Game 2, these these scores don't carry over. Game 2 is going to start off 0-0. And for the first time since before the bubble, I anticipate the Raptors will actually hold a lead on the Boston Celtics. I mean, it has to happen. And... Look, at the end of the day, what separates a star from a superstar, in my opinion, is the fact that their their headspace is not for rent. Somebody like a Jason Tatum is on his way to becoming a superstar because, like, uh, regardless, um, the only other Celtics player to reach uh, 20 above points is Marcus Smart, who I bet, guess had a field day with the three-point line. But um, Jason Tatum, out of everybody, all things considered – looked like the most steady person, not to say that the other Celtics didn't, but he looked like the most steady person. He is clearly the superstar of the series. So all we need to do is figure out how to generate our own superstars clearly. And, you know, people like Paul George have talked about this and other players. The bubble is very depressing and it's very easy to get stuck in a mental space. So hopefully with these family members coming over, like Van Vliet Jr., that'll generate something with the Raptors because Siakam, we've never seen Siakam in a slump until this year, specifically after the hiatus. And to see him only score like three points and a half out of our all-star, our face of the franchise next to Lowry, there's got to be something that we need that, that, that spice back in spicy P. I feel like with some downtime, with some reassessment of this game, Something will happen, and I, I don't think this is a lost cause. Van Fleet's right. not going to be having an off game like this again because this seems like an anomaly from what we've seen since last year in the Milwaukee series. Like This seems like an anomaly for Van Fleet. I think that's going right. to be okay. At the end of the day, we just have to hit those shots even better, but the primary thing is figuring out the wing threes are going to kill us. And let's be honest, they can shoot on that team. So we have to figure that out. And Tatum's got height, which also doesn't help. He's a shooter and he's got height. So we have to figure that out. We have to um, 
basically just not let it get to our heads, which is easier said than done. But we're the Toronto Raptors. We're champions sans Kawhi. And look, Kawhi may have been able to pull us through this like he's pulling the Clippers who are in a similar funk through their series. But we have what it takes and they just have to realize that. As per as per Josh Lewumper, again, he post game asked Lowry what happened, what was going on. And uh, Lowry said, you know, I just think we didn't play well enough to win the basketball game. No excuses made. We got to play harder and execute better. Yeah, it was emotional, but no excuses. The Boston Celtics beat us, and mm-hmm. and that's that's where it is. I think the Boston Celtics just played better. Uh, I feel like the Raptors will will bounce back, but you know, uh, again, I I don't want to take it out, and, and I'm not gonna say anything about the the emotional aspect, but I do feel like there must be some sort of impact, and I, you know, these players are also. Um, obviously people right and we can't think of them as as commodity we can't think of we can't start thinking of them as people that just entertain us because they're not they are people and this is where i want to start and stop to kind of reflect and actually get a chance to talk to you guys because i feel like we haven't really had a chance to actually talk you know stuff and you know i you know i start with the start of this conversation when we when we started to even connect we kind of stopped and said you know this is it's been a crazy couple of weeks it's been a kind of hard couple of weeks and in a hard 2020 so i i don't know i i just wanted to get get this moment just to stop you know i know that this is a raptors podcast and i know that this is a basketball related podcast but at the end of the day there's still so much going on uh and i thought it'd be a nice space for all of us to talk about it and with yeah. the with the news yesterday uh, about or not yesterday, a few a few days ago, about Chadwick Boseman passing away, as well as Clifford uh, Robinson passing away. Uh, today, we learned that Wayne Embry's wife, Terry Embry, uh, passed away, and uh, yeah. so there's there's a lot of emotions going on. And f- for me, uh, I feel like it's it's tough to put into words exactly what I'm going through. And it's again, it's not about me, especially when it comes to, you know, all the social justice that's going on as well. Uh, but for these players, it's so difficult to kind of take that away and just focus on basketball because that's not, that's not what they're there for. They're not there to play just basketball. They're there to educate people, to, uh, to highlight black lives matter, to, um, show that there is a social injustice that there has to be done, and especially in the last couple, you know, three days ago when they boycotted the game, mm-hmm. and there, there's just so much happening. And I wanted to get your input. I wanted to get both Jay and Dre. I just wanted to know what your thoughts are when you heard about the when the Milwaukee Bucks boycotted the game. Uh, when the when we heard that Fred and also Jalen Brown were the ones who kind of started the ball rolling. To think mm-hmm. about that, it would it might be a good time not to play basketball. What are your thoughts, guys? So, Jalen Brown brought it up. Um, around the same time as Van Vliet, because he basically said, I wear the number seven, and all I can see when I see my jersey is seven shots. Yeah, And I just want to get something straight. We're not talking about necessarily the the person that it happened to, um, but the fact that regardless of what the situation was, and this is what bugs me so much, why is it that when it comes to a person of color, that they're trying to find reasons like there's fentanyl in George Floyd's system or whatever the hell. Why do we have to find reasons to justify this? But when it happens to be a white person, it's 
oh, he worked at the church or uh, he his mother loved him. Like, why do we have to justify why they are human beings, but persons of color, specifically black men and women, um, were problematic and they should have reacted better to the law or whatever the hell people are trying to say. That's the problem, in my opinion. It doesn't matter. It, the point is... Jalen Brown sees seven shots because those seven shots could have been to anybody. If it was uh, one shot to somebody who was non-complying to get them on the ground because they the, the cop feared for his life, that's a different story. You don't need seven shots in the back to paralyze a guy. I like I think that's disgusting, and that's where it, it doesn't matter who it was. The point is we know first off that there's corruption in the police force. Secondly, that we if we can guess a good chunk of this had to do with the person's race. And we know that unfortunately, because time and time and time again, we've been proven right about thinking this way. So when people want to say, Oh, you're boycotting somebody who did this and that doesn't matter. They're not boycotting because of that they're boycotting because yet again, and with these comments, that's proving their point that you're not looking at what happened here, that a cop paralyzed somebody doesn't matter what they did. That, they shouldn't be doing that to civilians. If you know, if you even if you believed in a life, a life for a life, did this guy kill anybody? No. So why is he open fired on? Like why is that open game? So there are so many problems with this type of stuff. And at the end of the day, I also think, and I don't mean to rant too much, I also think it's disgusting that people insist that people like LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, that they play basketball and shut up and entertain us. No, they're also human beings as well. Yes, you you watch basketball to escape politics, but what the hell are these guys supposed to do to, to escape politics? They were forced to play during the pandemic. Granted, everything went well. Uh, the bubble has been a great success, but do you think they want to be separated from their families, which they were until now? No. Do you think they want to play in a time where they could die? And some NBA players have been directly affected by COVID. No. Do you think that they're in the right mindset to be playing? Looking at a lot of players like Paul George, a lot of the Raptors? No. Clearly not. So, And at the end of the day, they're human beings as well. This is how they will discuss what they want to discuss, just like you have every right to discuss whatever you want. This is what they're doing. If you don't like it, don't watch. I don't know how to say it any better than that, but you say shut up and dribble to them. Shut up and walk away from the TV. That's what I'm saying. At the end of the day, they're human beings. They're allowed to have to voice their opinion. And if you don't follow it for whatever stupid-ass reason, don't. And that's all I've got to say about that. Black Lives Matter. Well, you know what? It's It's... Before the the NBA restarted, there was a lot of discussion between the Players Association and the NBA about what a restart would look like. And a large portion of why the players agreed to come back was because they were promised that they would be allowed to have some social justice messaging, right? But Mm -hmm. let's take a step back and think, what exactly did the NBA agree to? What exactly did they do? Yeah, there's Black Lives Matter on the court. Okay, what else? There are predetermined censored messages on the back of their jerseys, not messages locally, not messages that the players want to do themselves. No, messages that were predetermined by the NBA. This is your list of what you're allowed to. We talked about this in a previous podcast, right? It's, you know, we will quote unquote allow all the social justice messaging, but really, are they? I don't think so. And Mm -hmm. bringing the Raptors and Maasai into this, 
if we remember when when Masai was first sued by that sheriff in Alameda County, Adam Silver, his response was, Masai needs to learn to avoid these types of situations. That didn't sound right at the time. And after, when he was acquitted, did Adam Silver say sorry? Did Adam Silver say anything? Because he did it. That's true. So the reason why I bring these up is because what the NBA has shown up until now is that there has not been enough action, whether it's from Adam Silver, whether it's been from the owners and the players, again, in addition to the fact that they are mentally exhausted from being inside this bubble, if they're seeing they're seeing all this happening outside the bubble, that was the boiling point, right? And these players said, the owners aren't doing anything. Adam Silver's not doing enough. So we are taking a stand. We are going to stop playing games. And look at what happened. Within 24 hours, this social justice coalition was formed. Why wasn't this formed two months ago? Why wasn't this formed when the discussion of a restart was on the table? So the boycott was successful in that in that light. And mm-hmm. the players have already shown they can do it. They will happily boycott again if this social justice coalition doesn't act upon what it's supposed to be acting upon. So uh, I think that yeah. what we're, where we're at right now is, is a step in the right direction. I, and I also think that this was the most genuine um, protest they had because yeah, like, like you said, when the NBA was going to return, the players agreed upon it because, you know, they were going to bring out that social message. But at a certain point, the backdrop of Black Lives Matter, the T-shirts that they're wearing, Black Lives Matter, the WNBA who have been the the forefront of it all and and showing and being as most powerful and vocal about uh, the inequality of it. At some point, there isn't going to be enough done when people are just watching it on TV. It might, it will start to, you know, be uh, in just in the background. And I feel like that's what the players are thinking. And because of them at the bubble i feel like for uh, for them for them they aren't allowed to kind of be as as uh participate as much as they want to because they are not there right and the whole point of the bubble was so they can show that they are participating so because the the boycott happened was it wasn't from the nba agreement it wasn't like you know the nba saying yeah you can do this just like you know those messages that they agreed upon to put on the back this was not that's enough is enough and i'm i'm proud that it was it was it was from a feeling right so when we heard that george it was the milwaukee bucks who stopped play but it was really george hill who who knew that he didn't want to play uh when that game five was happening and then when that happened you got sterling brown you got uh you know, Giannis and the Kubo, of course, all of them were like, "We're going to be with our brother, and we're not going to play as well." And that's where it came from. It wasn't. It wasn't coming from the higher ups. It was coming from the players. Mm-hmm. And from there, from there, and and if anyone asks, if and I saw a lot of like, "What is a boycott going to do?" Um, honestly, at this point, you know, twenty four hours later, a lot has happened. Uh, the fact that the you know the a lot of the NBA. Um, 
people who were working for the NBA also went on their own uh, strike. And so they could speak to authorities and speak to the higher ups and speak to the counties and, and try to do uh, certain changes. And, uh, you know, now that the, the NBA is also um, not allowing, but they're making everybody uh, who has a stadium um, all the 30 teams that have a stadium to have an actual actual voting poll. So again, yes, it's strange that none of this happened already. But at the same time, these are the things that are happening because of the boycott. And no, this isn't going to change, you know, racism from America or mm-hmm. Canada or around the world for that matter. And this is go- isn't going to uh, stop uh, social injustice 24 hours later or 45, 48 hours later. This comes... As long as it starts something in order to end something, that's what matters, right? And if that boycott meant that it was going to start a change, an actual change, that's what's important. You know what I mean? And so I'm proud of these guys for taking that stand and using that platform. I'm also proud. And at first I wasn't, I didn't know about them. um, I didn't know how I felt about them going to play again uh because like you know what's the point if you're going to go all out then you know show your force and not play but at the same time now i've realized that they're there for a reason they're there yes to play a a game and again it is a game but they're also if i feel like the the powers that be if if they can stick together they they can do a lot more if they're together instead of they are separate so i'm and now I've come to an agreement with myself, I guess, that I'm happy that they're still playing again. Mm-hmm. And I guess uh, on the topic of like stuff that's happening currently, um, I just uh, and I think all of us want to have like a couple of things to say about um, the, the recent deaths that we've had. Uh, first off, Jack Bozeman, who actually has a huge connection with the NBA. He was um, in the Celebrity All-Star Game and he also helped with the dunk contest uh, as one of the judges. And uh, obviously the Victor Oladipo dunk, which uh, uh, gave homage to King T'Challa or Black Panther. Um, guy wait, went way too soon. I've got a write-up for it on my on my website, uh, August 31st, filmsfatale.com. In short, basically, um, Guy went way too soon. He was a fantastic talent, and he always used his platform to speak on social, on social issues and brought up black history and a number of his films, including 42 with Jackie Robinson and got on up with, uh, with James Brown and even with black Panther, uh, you know, that's Wakanda forever synonymous with what, what a lot of people are saying in relation to like police brutality. And, um, as of late, like black lives matter, it's, I, to me, I think it's synonymous. And obviously he was always on the forefront of that type of thing. And it's unfortunate because we could use his voice now more than ever. And, um, cancer sucks he helped others with cancer when he was silently battling it himself he's a true fighter and rest in peace to um to chadwick boseman yeah if i could say one more thing before before you go i leave it off to you jay uh because this will be the last thing i'd say but when it comes to chadwick boseman of course i don't think any of us knew knew him but the, the fact that and the news that came out is that he died because of uh cancer that he was diagnosed four years ago so to think about that, to, th- to realize that he was working, filming, going through these presses, speaking to, um, you know, speaking to a community that felt like, and with in regards to uh, Black Panther, speaking to a community that really felt like they don't really have a history, right? And and uh, I feel like when it comes to Chadwick, 
the fact that he went through all of that while also being diagnosed with cancer, while also fighting through all of that pain without saying anything, without saying a word and just going through his day, knowing that he was going to inspire millions and he has and he will continue to. That's very, very inspirational. No one you don't know, you have no idea what people are going through um, and in all walks of life. So, you know, the last thing I want to say is just be kind to everyone. Be kind to one another, please, because you don't know what's going on. And most of the time, they're just trying to make the world better, which was what Chadwick was doing. So, again, yeah, rest in peace, Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, it's been it's been a tough, tough few days in addition to the shooting of Jacob Blake uh, and and the numerous deaths. I mean, the, the 2020 just continues to to hit us with hard ones. The, the death of of Lute Olson, um, you know, Hall of Fame coach from University of Arizona, uh, happened over the weekend. He died at the age of eighty five. He suffered a stroke uh, in, in twenty nineteen, but um, and he's been in hospice care ever since. He has the the he's so renowned in Arizona basketball that the the Lute Olson Award was named after, obviously named after him, and is awarded to the nation's top. Division one player in college basketball, so he's that's a huge loss to the college basketball community. To the NBA community, the loss of Clifford Robinson is huge. He was a man mm-hmm. who was ahead of his time. Uh, you know, he was the he was a two time All NBA All, all Defensive NBA uh, Second Team uh, Sixth Man of the Year uh, winner in nineteen ninety three and, and former All Star in ninety four. But he was a part of that that Blazers squad that made uh, a, a title run or and fell short to the Pistons and to the Bulls, but he was such an integral part that, you know, if you were to, if you were to time travel to the present day, his game would still fit. He was the type of big man that could be very versatile and play both ways. And uh, he very much could fit so, in today's game. So, you know, it, it's, it sucks that, that he, you know, left this earth too early. He died at the age of 53 and um, you know, our, our prayers are with his friends and family. And and the last person I do want to mention here is Wayne Embry's wife, Terry. Now she, her passing is obviously, you know, very tragic and, you know, they've been married for 62 years. So, so God wow. has definitely been watching over them. But, but the story with, with Terry is that, you know, she walked in Selma. She marched in Selma with, Dr. Martin Luther King. She walked alongside Yvonne Robertson, who is Oscar Robertson's wife. And she was very much a a very avid and and solid civic rights advocate. And it's it's quite jarring that, you know, despite that march happening 55 years ago, we are still fighting those same fights today. So I guess the the plea here and I guess the message from this podcast is simply to keep fighting. I mean, and this is it's sad that we are still making this fight this at this time, but at the same time, the progress that's being made cannot be lost. So um I think that's where I will leave it at is, you know, let's let's not let Terry Embry's death go in vain. Yes. Absolutely. There you have it. Uh, again, I want to. I, I thank you guys for allowing us to talk about this. I, I feel like we never really had a chance to talk about it amongst ourselves, so I thought this would be appropriate for us to talk about it. So again, 
Rest in peace, Mr. Robinson, Mr. Bozeman, Mr. Olson, and Ms. Embry. Hope you would all rest in power.